time, cows, and a conversation about conservation on the menu today. Plus, of course, a look at the markets and the weather. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning, I'm Steve Orchard. Hope you've had a good week. Let's start with a look at the week's farming headlines. The second round of support for businesses affected by coronavirus was launched this week. There's full details on the HMRC website and a quick reminder that the Coronavirus Business Interruption Loan Scheme will close to new applications next month and the Bounce Back Loan Scheme will close to new applications in November. July pork production was up 9% year-on-year to reach a 20-year high for the month, according to DEFRA figures. Horticulture and potato growers say they've secured a mandate to reform the AHDB, arguing that it fails to provide value for money. This follows a ballot of nearly 2,000 levy payers in which 92% of respondents said the AHDB's policies are of little or no benefit to their business, and 80% say they do not want to to pay a statutory levy. Ballot organiser John Bratley said he was looking forward to discussing the findings with DEFRA Secretary George Eustace. There's a bursary opportunity available for the RABDF's Entrepreneurship in Dairy programme. If you're interested, you can get uh, details from the RABDF website. And to put a smile on your face this Sunday morning, more than 40 hectares of sunflowers are in full bloom, looking gorgeous at Vine House Farm near Spalding, signifying another successful year for grower Nicholas Watts. Let's turn to rural crime. We've seen some horrendous and distressing pictures of Lincolnshire farm buildings in flames this week. And this comes shortly after the county being named as having the highest rural crime cost in the country, with losses adding up to £2.8 million, according to a recent report by rural insurer NFU Mutual. The cost makes Lincolnshire the worst affected county by cost, with Essex, North Yorkshire, Cambridgeshire and Kent following in the top five. Across the UK, rural crime cost £54 million in 2019, an increase of almost 9% on the previous year. The rise is being driven largely by organised criminal gangs targeting high-value tractors, quad bikes and large numbers of livestock. And while there have been some reductions in crime under lockdown, there are concerns that rural theft is set to escalate as the economic impact of the COVID-19 pandemic bites. In 2019, rural crime rose in every region and nation within the UK. The east of England saw a rise of 16.9%. And for the second year running, the sharp rises are being driven by organised criminal gangs targeting high-value tractors, quad bikes, other farm vehicles as well. For example, Land Rover Defender thefts reported to NFU Mutual rose by 34% to £2.1 million. And demand from overseas for expensive farm kits fueling the rise. And in one joint operation between NFU Mutual and the National Vehicle Crime Intelligence Service, five vehicles totaling more than £100,000 were recovered from Poland earlier this year. Livestock theft also increased last year, with the UK cost going up 9% to £3 million. Well-organised gangs taking large numbers of sheep, which are thought to enter the food chain illegally, are driving the increase. A spate of sheep being slaughtered and butchered in farmers' fields also contributed to the rise and farmers continued to be affected by rustling during the pandemic, with initial figures suggesting an increase of nearly 15% year-on-year in April this year. 
Theft of tractor global positioning systems. GPS is a major concern as farms move to using precision technology to run field operations. Typically, they cost between eight and ten thousand pounds, and GPS equipment's become a highly prized item on the shopping list of rural thieves, particularly during COVID-19, where smaller, high-value items appear to have been targeted to meet demands overseas. And as well as the financial costs, there's a serious effect on the mental well-being of people living in rural and often isolated areas. There are fears that the impact will be felt harder this year as farmers have been working flat out to feed the nation and many rural communities have been put under additional pressure by the challenges brought about by COVID-19. Now, one Lincolnshire farmer, a regular contributor to the programme who's been affected by this more than most, is Charles Anion. Here speaking to the farming programme's Hannah Norbury. Yes, well, I've had uh, I've been burgled 32 times in in the last eight years now. Various, mainly workshop theft, quad bikes stolen, diesel stolen, workshop tools, chainsaws. I've had two, three house break-ins, and um, so we've been under the cosh really in in the last few years, and it's it's very frustrating. 32 times, you know, that's an incredible amount of times that that's happened. How has it impacted you financially? Financially, it's, it's, it's really quite crippling because obviously you've got to replace things. A lot of the things we've had stolen, we've chosen not to replace. But um, obviously that costs money. Your insurance premium goes up, although my insurers have been very good, very understanding. You've got to pay for extra security. And, you know, I always thought the security on my farm was really quite good. But, um, you know, it's been seriously tested. So there's an awful lot of... In- investment has gone into into that and then the implications a lot of people don't realize is diversification is a, is a big thing now Lincolnshire's beautiful county and a few years ago I looked at um, having farm stays you know yurts uh, cabins on the farm and, and then realized that with with burglary issues it was too risky so that didn't happen so that's an extra financial cost it's really crippled us over the last few years what security is around your farm to keep these people away? Uh, well, we're fairly heavily CCTV'd now. We're fairly heavily alarmed. The locks get bigger, barriers get bigger uh, and more substantial. And why should I have to do this? At the end of the day, I go out and earn an honest living. And um, it's frustrating that, that, that people don't respect that. And how does this make you, you feel, you know, like mentally as well when all this crime is happening to you? It takes me a couple of hours to calm down, really. It, it just makes you unbelievably angry, and I'm not really an angry person. And uh, frustrated, and especially when you've been burgled so many times, you just think, when is this going to stop? It's a very low point. Mentally, it's very frustrating. I think I'm quite strong mentally, but um, when it's happening, it's, it's extremely frustrating. It makes you, makes you feel very angry indeed. And... Um, it makes you a bit neurotic to a certain degree. I remember an incident um, a few years ago when I, w- I was at home and uh, my workshop is, is well alarmed and I-, I woke up having a dream that my workshop alarm was going off and uh, I ended up at the farm at four o'clock in the morning just just on, on, the, on the back of that and um, you can't live your life like that really. Do you think there's more people in the community or other forces can do to work together and stop this sort of crime? Well, I've always had 
especially in, in more recent years, I've always had quite a good dialogue with Lincolnshire Police. But everybody in rural areas, farmers, rural dwellers, because it's not just the farmers who get affected. In, in Springfield, there's been numerous you know, house break-ins over and garage break-ins. We've all got to keep vigilant. And if there are problems, if there are break-ins, however trivial, you've got to report them to the police. And then, you know, the partnership of Lincolnshire Police and and the rural community has got to do their best to stamp it out. But it's, it's, it's very much a partnership of everyone working together rather than one person. Everybody's got to do their bit. NFU Mutual's rural theft figures are used by the police forces to help them understand rural crime on their patch and plan rural police responses. It also provides support and expert advice to many local farm and rural watch schemes across the UK. You can download the report at nfumutual.co.uk slash ruralcrime. And of course, if you have concerns, talk to the local police. Let's talk cows now. Balancing energy sources is key to maintaining dairy herd health, fertility and productivity, according to nutritional supplement manufacturer UFAC UK. Mike Chown, their ruminant technical manager, joins us now. Mike, thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Now, obviously, we we need nice, healthy cows, fertile cows, uh, producing good volumes of milk and so on. But you're suggesting we need to do something to aid their food. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, it is critical that um, if you're going to get the best out of these animals, we need to balance the foods that they've got correctly. Now, one comment that I've seen is that grass yields look to be lower generally this year. Why is that? Well, early on, it was extremely dry. I mean, the situation has now changed in certain parts of the country. There's been a, a lot more grass latterly, which brings its similar challenges. But it was a very dry early season. So we had a very poor spring growth, late spring growth. So like so many issues in farming this year, a lot of this is down to the weather, is it? Very much so. So what are you suggesting that farmers do to help the yield and help produce better volumes of milk? First thing they should do is actually analyse the forages that they've actually got available more frequently than they currently do. That, that is a, that's a key point. Once they've then got the analysis, it's then to understand what that analysis is telling them and then balance it accordingly. Okay, now are you talking about balancing this by adding something to the feed? We look at milk from forage, okay, and we want to optimise milk from forage. So once you know what your forage brings, then we add feeds that balance that forage correctly. So, yeah, we're looking at... It depends whether you're talking about a grass and fresh grass, grass silage, or we have cereal crops, you know, and we have maize silages being fed. So it's understanding once you've got the base of your forages, we then add the appropriate starch, sugars, proteins, and correct uh, fatty acids to the diet. Palm oil prices are rather volatile, and there's concern over the environmental impact of its use and you're saying that dairy farmers ought to consider alternative sources of energy is that right yeah very much so there there is good effective alternative sources to using palm oil based products that's what uh, ourselves at ufac really look at and we ha- we do have one product which is completely palm free which supplies the same um, energy and um, has a better fatty acid balance than a single source palm fat. 
And I guess we need to consider the balance of fats and fatty acids as well, don't we? People just look at, if you like, fats as fats, but it's like protein is protein, and protein is split into amino acids, and each amino acid has a specific function. And again, oil stroke fats are the same. They are split into individual fatty acids, and each fatty acid has its own specific role within the animal. So it's understanding what you're buying. You need to ensure that you're buying what you actually need and not just look at total energy. And like so many things in life, I guess, balance is the key. But ensure you're meeting the cow's requirements throughout the differing stages of lactation. That's the key point. Excellent. Mike, thank you very much indeed for that. If somebody wanted to talk to you about that, could they email you? No trouble at all. They can email me at mike.chown at ufacuk.com. Mike Chown from UFAC UK, many thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Thank you very much. In a moment, we'll have a conversation about conservation. We'll get the latest market report from Kit Dickinson at Openfield and take a look at the week's farming weather. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Last week on my tour around Andrew Ward's Lednam Farm, we discussed the huge strides taken by farmers to improve the lot of our wildlife. A new book on the subject has been published recently. Farming with Nature is based on scientific research and provides a practical guide on how conservation efforts aimed at the grey partridge can benefit general farmland biodiversity. I'm joined by James Sawyer from the publishers of the book, The Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust. How did this book come about, James? Uh, well, the, the Trust has always been involved in, in grey partridge research for, for decades now. We're the lead partner in a, a Europe-wide project called Partridge. It's an EU-funded project that um, has got 13 different partners in seven countries. And we, we all work together to put this book together. I mean, the, the nature of the project is the idea that by managing farmland for grey partridge conservation, you can actually bring about a lot of wider biodiversity benefits. And so it's really, um, the project itself is really a, an information sharing exercise across dem- different demonstration sites. And we wanted to distill all of that into a book so that other farmers could, could learn from it as well. Okay. Is the grey partridge really just being used almost as an example of one species which has suffered? Uh, yes, very much so. Yeah, it's, um, it's often described as an indicator species or an, um, an umbrella species for, for other kind of farmland health. So um, it needs quite a lot to um, prosper, really. I mean, we're, we're down to 37,000 pairs in the in the UK now, which might sound like quite a lot, but it's actually fallen by 90% in the in the past 50 or so years. And so, and really, because they need a, a good balance of good cover, good hedgerows, they're incredibly dependent on insect life for the first couple of weeks so if you've got a healthy farm that, that's giving you all of that then there's no reason you can't have a healthy population of partridges so it's a, it's a good kind of barometer for for how well farmland is is offering good biodiversity going forwards we, we talk about wildflower margins for example what should be in them should they just be left to overgrow or do they need to be planted with a specific mix of plants to help the, the birds and and other species um, it's it's a bit of a mix, really. I mean, sometimes you might see these beautiful um, wildflower margins that 
that are, are excellent for, for bees and butterflies and other pollinators, but sometimes partridges and other ground nesting birds might need something that's maybe not quite so attractive, a good, a good mix of mustard and kale, chicory, maybe some teasels as well, uh, some sweet clover. Um, and, and they, you know, you can put a bit of color in there as well. They, the odd sunflower also won't hurt. They're, it gives them nice, some nice tall stocks, but that's also relatively open at ground level. Now, when I was on a farm last week, I saw plenty of wildflower margins, feeder buckets for birds and so on. Is there anything else that you're looking for farmers to do? Those two are absolutely key elements. We've, we found that winter feeding can make a real difference. And I, I'd listened to your, to your show last week and I know that there's lots going on around Lincolnshire in terms of going out there and, and feeding in the winter. I mean, habitat is key, really. I mean, 65% of partridge nests are in field margins. So hedgerows, grassy banks, uncut margins, things like that are absolutely key. And then just good, good cover as well for the winter. What about pesticides? What are, what's your, your view on those? I mean, to a certain extent, they are necessary in farming. Uh, we could debate how necessary until the, the proverbial cows come indeed, home. Indeed. But are you, are you suggesting we don't use pesticides? I mean, there's got to be a balance between crop productivity and conservation, hasn't there? Absolutely. And, you know, we'll, we'll be the, you know, as an organisation, we, we work very closely with, with farmers and landowners. And, you know, we would, we would be the first to say that they're, they're primary role is to is to put food on our plates um and you know we're, we're not kind of going out there and advocating some some kind of zero zero use of pesticides it's just a case that actually if if they can leave particular areas unsprayed or may or maybe consider the impact i mean we we're undertaking a lot of research through our demonstration farm and, and other sites as to quite how pesticides and herbicides might might be able to be used slightly differently um but yeah, the the problem is if yeah, partridges obviously young partridges need need insect life, and so it's really about maybe even leaving some areas unsprayed. So you've got what I would like to call beneficial predators. So we advocated for for many a year, invented by the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust, the idea of beetle banks. So a, a strip running a, running across a field, some some tusky grass and a, a mix of other plants, so that beetles and other kind of natural predators that will that will tackle some of the some of the insects you don't, you might not want in your crops um, can thrive in those, and and that's been seen to have an impact as well. So it's it's really is a question of balance, like all of these things. Who else is involved in the farming with nature project? And um, well, we we'd like to to reach out to, to policymakers as well. I mean, we're we're working with several different partners across England, Scotland, the Netherlands, Belgium, Germany. We've all tried to do what we can to get policymakers on side as well so they can review um, what's happening with you know we're in, we're in a position at the moment where obviously agricultural policy and environmental stewardship options are, are very much up for grabs um, post-Brexit they're very, very much kind of looking at a blank sheet of paper at the moment and so really policymakers can play a great role in rewarding farmers for this work because as you, as you say if every they're, they're food producers at the, at the core of their, their business. So everything they're doing for biodiversity and wildlife is effectively taking away part of their business. And so we really need a policy that recognises and rewards the impact that farmers and those kind of working in conservation across our countryside can really make a difference. So they, there needs to be a good bit of flexibility and, and recognition for that, I think. 
Now, the book, I have to say, when I flick through it, is is beautifully put together. It's a very nice, easy to read, easy to understand book with the information and uh, and the facts and figures that you need, but not all facts and figures. Where can we get a copy of this book, James? At the moment, it's it's only on our shop, the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust shop, because we've, we've published it ourselves. It's gwctshop.org.uk. It's £12, the book, but it's, as you say, it's illustrated throughout, and it was written by three of my colleagues, so two two, um, scientists, Dr. Francis Booner and Dr. Julie Ewald, who are partridge conservationists, um, but also a colleague of mine, Dr. Jen Bruin, who is actually employed by the Trust to make our science more accessible and write it in a way that can appeal to a broader audience. And we have one copy of the book to be won on the Farming Programme this morning. I'll tell you exactly how to enter at the end of the programme, but James, you have a question for us uh, which you need to get right to be in with a chance of winning the book. What is the collective name for a group of partridges? So that's what we need to know from you. What is the collective name for a group of partridges? As I say, I'll tell you exactly how you can enter at the end of the programme. We'll pick a winner at random and that winner will get to receive a copy of this beautiful book. James, thank you so much for joining us on the Farming Programme this morning. Good luck with the book and good luck with your campaign. Thanks ever so much. Thank you. Time now for a look at the markets and prices with Kit Dickinson from Openfield. Good morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. Sideways trading was the order of the week. London made modest gains of 50p on Wednesday, basis November, with the US either side of unchanged. The US market is still trying to assess the damage of the major storm with the actual loss of production. This is currently still unknown. What is good news, however, is there is good news on ethanol. Forget production for a minute. Demand is equally key, and with 40% of the US maize heading this way, we need ethanol production to keep improving. The fiscal demand in the UK at the higher values has been a little bit of an unknown, if we're honest. It's noticeable how a couple of mills have been reducing the amount of grain again this week. This is both on milling wheat and feed wheat. You can't blame the heat this week, and maybe we are not eating as much bread as we were. But it's several loads a day in each case. I'm not entirely sure we can draw many conclusions just yet, but if we're still talking about this in six weeks' time, you could certainly draw conclusions that higher values have curbed demand. After a slow week harvesting in Lincolnshire, combines have started to cut again at the end of the week and over the weekend. Once we have sample results, we will be able to see if the rain has done any damage to Hagbergs on the remaining milling wheat. Moving on to allseed rate, there are currently discussions in the trade as to what the UK and the EU will do with such little rapeseed production. It's timely, as a report this week showed there were shorts in Chettisham and Irith is still not working to full capacity. But when they are expected to be, September, October time, where is all this rape going to come from? We will need to closely watch the import data, but as one article suggests, is there an alternative? I'm not sure that crushes can physically crush sunflower seed, but they can crush soybeans. There could be a potential switch with another crush within Europe. Watch this space on all-seed rape. Moving on to feed barley, we have seen limited barley cuts so far in Lincolnshire, but the recent rain has helped to bring the crops along and the majority are nearly ready. Second growth, as I have mentioned before, is going to be tricky to manage, but we will have to see how many immature grains there are in the samples when we get going. High winds on Friday were another concern for spring barley crops. After a challenging year, to say the least, the last thing anybody wants to be combining is flat spring barley. Moving on to prices this week, for feed wheat, August 160 to 162, November 162 to 164, 
February 165 to 166, May 167 to 169. Milling wheat premiums are currently 25 to 27 pounds. Oil seed rate for August 322 to 324, moving forward to November at 332 to 334, February 335 to 337, and May 338 to 340. Feed barley for August is 122 to 124, November 125 to 127, February 128 to 130, and no carry moving forward to May of the same values of 128 to 130. Malting barley premiums are currently 8 to £10. Thank you very much. Thanks as ever, Kit. So, what's the weather going to do to us this week? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, we're not done with the wind. The effects of Storm Ellen continue, particularly in the middle of the week, but today looks a little calmer with westerly winds in the mid-teens MPH, maybe three or four mil of rain this afternoon and temperatures up to 21 Celsius. Monday looks to be cloudy but mostly dry. Rain expected in the evening and overnight. Just a gentle westerly breeze and highs of 18 Celsius tomorrow. Rain continuing through the day Tuesday, which sees the southerly wind picking up to speeds approaching 30, gusting to the mid-40s MPH, cloudy with highs of 20 Celsius. And on Wednesday, the strong gusty winds continue, veering more westerly and easing off by the evening. Mostly dry and sunny with a high of 18 Celsius. Thursday is calm, dry with a little bit of sunshine, highs again around 18 Celsius and it looks like rain to end the week as the wind becomes easterly but light, cloudy and chilly with a high of 15 Celsius on Friday. Well that's it for this week, apart from to tell you how to enter our competition to win the beautifully illustrated Farming with Nature book we talked about earlier. Tell me the answer to the question, what is the name for a group of partridges? Tweet at Farming Show or email farming at linksfm.co.uk. And get your entry in before midnight this Thursday, the 27th of August. We'll pick a winner at random and let you know who it is next Sunday when we'll welcome back from his summer holidays with some important and timely agronomy advice, Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. In the meantime, as ever, stay safe, stay positive and have a good farming week.